2: F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready. We focused very much on the Lewis Hamilton-Max Verstappen fight on Sunday. It felt a bit uncomfortable at the time, but listening back, I think it was justified. And we've had really great feedback from that show. And we've even had people who claim to be Red Bull and Verstappen fans Uh, I think more relieved that there was more balance than they perhaps expected from that show and that lineup. I hope you guys enjoyed it, but I I did want to get back on the mic and address some of the midfield stuff. Um, We've got a few non-race topics to talk about as well, and then maybe we'll have a little bit of a look ahead to that finale in Abu Dhabi.
3: We are, of course, joined by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? It's going fine. You know, my favorite part of the show is when you tell me what's on the show and then I look at what I've actually put in the notes and go, where's the rest of it coming from?
2: All right. Yeah. Um, so my job is to just <laughs> declare things. Uh, you sort it out as we go through the show. But uh, some some positive Miss Apex news that I want to address. You, in fact, pointed this out to me that we are scoring very highly in the charts at the moment. So in the UK iTunes charts, we are the 34th ranked sports podcast, which is Just incredible. And if you look around at the company, we are up and around all these very highly polished, well-funded shows. And I think I just wanted to say to you, Matt, well done. And you too. (laughs) Extremely well done. I'm very proud of, of what we've done. But I have to say, we could not have done it alone. We couldn't have done it without all our great panel and the support of the patrons. If the money alone wasn't enough, the belief that our patrons have had in us has been outstanding so I wanna I want to credit being in the top 34 of the the iTunes charts uh, to them Matt as, as much as as good as you've been I want to give them most of the
3: credit and as well they should because without them neither of us would be here but I much like our drivers and constructors argument I can't believe you're leaving out the fact first of all we're top 100 in US Canada Australia and Great Britain but we were number 159 in all podcasts in Great Britain.
2: Yes, the episode, the, the review yes, itself episode. was the
4: 158th that ranking podcast. Is giant. It certainly I'm sorry, is. Sorry, I'm not even introduced yet, but that is giant.
2: We may as well introduce you. It's Christian Pedersen from the Media World of Denmarkland. Hello, Christian. Hello, Mr. Spanners and Matt and congratulations. No, you it's... did that the right thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean obviously it doesn't. Like it's an arbitrary number in some ways, but what it shows is that you know people have been sharing the show, people have been tuning in, and uh, to those people who are newish, I just want to say uh, welcome to Miss Apex. We have a variety of voices on the show. We have people from Denmarkland all the way up there in the in the cold, and uh, we even go across the the channel to the Netherlands. And we have Jules Sagers. How's it going, Jules?
5: Hi, Spenos,
2: Going well. I'm
5: uh, coming to you, speaking of national charts for podcasts, coming to you from a country where one of the leading F1 podcasts boycotted the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix and didn't record a show.
2: I, I completely can have some sympathy with that. Even if you look at the mainstream broadcasters, you will see, there are certain prominent uh, uh broadcast people that for example won't cover the russian grand prix and um i know the chinese grand prix as well was was very difficult for certain people so i uh, absolutely respect that stand we we don't boycott any particular
4: race just a small point on that canceler podcast on behalf of going to saudi arabia I think if you look at the race this weekend not only did i get to meet a female saudi arabian driver i got to see the fire in the eyes of the marshals and I got to see a lot of things I didn't really expect to see. So when Formula One goes to Saudi Arabia, it it activates a lot of things we don't talk about. I'm totally against everything that happens in that sort of way, but it brings does bring good things. It does bring positivity, and that is what sports should do. Now, does the board meeting at Mercedes think about this? or oh, That is a totally different story. Just don't forget the positives. That's all I'm saying.
3: I I think Christian makes the absolutely correct point that it's always more complicated than people on the internet would like to have you believe. And and this is it.
2: Yeah. It's not that I don't have an opinion or opinions. It's that I don't, I'm not in the place where I can give it the proper nuance and depth that it would deserve.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I would say that were there positives? Yes. Or are there from our point of view, significant issues? Well, yes, obviously also. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, there was, there was
2: a race. We could talk about that. Dirty News. Mm. So, let's uh, let's talk about some of the action in the midfield from Sunday's race. And uh, we didn't quite finish saying it, but I also wanted to say a thank you for everyone who's shared a link to Missed Apex podcast. MissedApex.net. Share that on your Twitter. Tag us. Even if you've only got five people, um, it really does. It helps our visibility. And I don't think we'd have been able to spread the word without you guys sharing it so thank you very much for that. Matt, I think the safety car is a great place to start because you know with the focus was on Verstappen getting the free lead but there was loads of cars up and down the grid that won and lost.
3: Yeah, and this is the thing for if you were in the midfield, well I mean even at the front it was a thing. The teams made a bet when that safety car came out. Some teams bet on it just being a safety car and some teams and And made decided they would get their free pit stop and take advantage of it while they could, because looking looking at the crash, you're thinking this is going to go long enough that I'm into the hard tires to the end and yeah. then some teams said, "Heck with that, track position is going to be king here in Saudi Arabia, so we stay out and we gain the positions, and we sort the rest of it out later, and everything. Where you wound up, whether you won or lost, flowed from that singular decision. Do you have any, do you have a, like a list of who, who pitted, who went for it? Do we know? Well, you know, me, no, I have no idea. Of course, yes, I have a list right here in front <laughs> of me. So the people who made the decision to pit, aside from the two Mercedes, and I think this is interesting because I think the people who pitted were were covering the Mercedes uh, in the midfield. It was Norris, who I believe was in fourth place at this time, or no, Leclerc fourth, Norris and fifth, Stroll, Latifi, Alonso, and Russell. Now Stroll and Russell were in a beautiful place because they were just about at the pit entrance when the safety car got called, so they actually got away scot free. They got their pit stop in and they got back out without losing a place, and then they gained when everybody else came in. And um, the people who definitely stayed out, and this made for split strategies. Uh, Ricardo, Signs, and Vettel all had started on the hard tire, so. It, was, it would have been a pointless stop for them because they would have had to go onto the medium, which wouldn't go far enough at
2: that point. Okay, well, what do, we th- what do you think of the the tactics there, Jules, from the teams? Because there seemed to be this kind of insinuation, well, well, you know it's likely for it to be a red flag, and I suppose there is precedent in this current regime of it being safety car, safety car, oh, and then red flag. It feels like it's a bit too much for the strategists. To try- You've got to preempt what the marshals are going to decide or what the race control is going to decide. That's takes a bit of the sporting edge away from it for me.
5: I think so. Um, I think for, as a strategist to think of all these possible scenarios, it's, it's undoable, I think. And it made me, it made me think of, of this track and tracks like these, Uh, Liberty seems to want to go to inner cities and have street circuits like these. But if you want tracks like this, I think this weekend showed that, you know, these tracks uh, play yeah. into hand that every single piece of debris can mean a virtual safety car or a safety car or a red flag. And last weekend showed uh, the race was interfered with so much that I think you people need to rethink if, if this is what
2: we want. Uh, yeah, for her, I mean, yeah. Like whether safety, well, you know, I'm not a fan of street circuits, Matt. (laughs) So, so I think street circuits inevitably do lead to this kind of stop-start action, especially where safety correctly is is paramount. My my real question, I think, here, Christian, is is the approach to whether that needed to be a red flag?
4: Well, the big the big thing is you bought this flat screen TV for Christmas, and then on January first, it's half price. That's basically what happened here. So you were given an opportunity to buy something, but then suddenly it's, uh, it rewards everyone else. And that is what happened with the first red flag. Um, uh, I remember a time when the, the pit entry was closed when you had a red flag. And that basically destroyed everything because once you get a red flag, then balls are thrown into the air and people have to uh, make new decisions on the go. And that is what makes Formula 1 exciting, I think, when people have to not rely on what they already know from the beginning of the race. When they're put in a situation where they have to make uh, split decisions, then things change. So I'm not really sure you can do anything about I've got what happened there.
2: No, you're wrong. I've got a solution, I think. Matt, Matt, Give it to us. And then I'll say my thing, and then Matt will say why I'm wrong. If there was a red flag that finished the race on lap 54 and there was a big crash, like in Brazil when they had the countback and Fisichella ended up being declared winner instead of Raikkonen, they could, they count back to like, where was the last sort of sane point before all of this kicked off? So why not have a, a safety car plus? So someone's gone into the barrier and you go, okay, it's safety car plus. That means that, We we are saving the marker point at this point where the safety car plus goes out, and if this then turns into a red flag, we will revert back to that point. If it's not a red flag, we'll carry on, and your tactical decisions then count. Matt, come on, come on, Matt! For once, give me some, give me some props.
3: Come on, that's good. So I like the idea because the red flag is supposed to freeze the action. Now, interestingly, if you want to make the argument. Uh, Like, for example, when I saw the accident, and and I I think I said it in the Slack chat at the time, like, that's a barrier repair. Like, you Mm. see how hard he went in. And I think that's why the people who pitted, pitted, is because they knew it would be enough laps under the safety car. But if you watch the F2 races, every single barrier repair was a red flag. So you could also argue the information was there to make the correct decision from You just had to decide, was it going to be a repair or not? I like the idea. The problem you have with that, if you want to talk about maintaining tactical decisions, though, and ignore what I just said, is that there is already a rule under the red flag that you can put new tires on, that you can fix damage and stuff like that. So if you're going to revert and some people pitted and some people didn't, you're giving the people who didn't pit still a chance to catch up. So you'd also have to deal with that other rule as well. And in fact, many people, were rather furious because, uh, in addition to Verstappen, it gave several people a chance to fulfill the tire requirement without needing any pit stop at all.
4: So I've had races where the safety car and someone pitting was to the advantage of what I wanted to happen, and I have the reverse as well. And when it's not going in your direction, it's it's just the worst. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. It basically, yeah, yeah it's, it. It's a bit like a dog running onto a field in a Champions League final uh, during the penalty shootout. It's a bit like that because it didn't have to be. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking, how about uh, expanding the virtual uh, uh, safety car a bit and maybe go for the virtual, maybe have a virtual two, uh, which goes a bit slower, but you still keep your position on track. It makes a pit stop uh, available and viable maybe uh, but you're still on track and you're keeping the pace, maybe slowing down for the area affected, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Sorry, I just realized that we shouldn't nickname the safety car period snakes and ladders <laughs> or "shoots and ladders. Is that what you call it over there? Nope. Snakes and ladders. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. OK. All right. Well,
2: where do you want to go first, Matt, for our kind of winners and losers of the safety car?
3: Well, um, I think let's save the winners because that's a positive topic. Let's talk about the person who lost out the most yep. because for all that it was wretched for Norris personally, he went all the way down to P14 or P15. I He went down to P14 and I think he wound up even maybe in P15 at some point after the first restart Uh because he got penned, I believe, by traffic in his pit box. Oh, And... That was the end of his race. He managed to come back and score a single point. But the good news is it had the exact opposite benefit, I think, for Ricardo, in that he was able to—he didn't pit because he was on the hard tires. So he got a completely free pit stop and was one of a couple of people who actually then managed to go all the way to the end on the medium tire, believe it or not, and and wound up in fifth place. So McLaren, after scoring, what, three points, four points Mm. over three or four races— Actually, finally managed to do decently, and and I think that had to be a positive result. What, why have McLaren been doing so poorly of late? Um, I, I honestly, I, I think it's budget. I think it's a 2022 car. I, I think you're seeing that, and then also really uh, Ferrari with the with their new development, um, the Eras development has has upped their game. So so their competitors have moved on, and they've not had the resource to keep up.
4: I just wanted to emphasize that Matt is spot on. It's it's definitely a Ferrari gain. Uh, Ferrari is, I've said this, I think maybe the last three times, Ferrari is onto something. I, there's a vibe there. The only thing not going for them, for them is uh, a potential fight between the drivers next year. But I think the Ferrari uh, machinery factory is working really well these days. And that affects McLaren a lot. Also, they are having some financial problems and that is a lot of talk about a new buyer and stuff like that. I'm I'm not saying that affects everything, especially the racing team, but it does do something though.
5: Yeah. I think um, maybe uh, McLaren doing, doing bad is a, is a bit, uh, uh, the the picture isn't as, as bad as it, as it looks because of Ferrari, but I think we should all also not underestimate they probably had uh, a bit more resources going into the, 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 the pre-season, fitting in uh, a new PU Yeah, uh, with Merck coming in and they were the only team having to do that. So I think Matt is right. Probably development stalled a bit earlier and um, I think they still did a pretty decent job probably coming in th- uh, fourth in the constructors and, you know, with a, with a, with a new uh, power unit.
2: Yeah, as well. Okay, so I just want to, Zone in on the two drivers just for a little while because it has been a, a season of two halves for McLaren. There's been a lot of glory for McLaren. And, and in most of that kind of glory, good form time, Norris had the upper hand. And since they've been kind of levelling off a bit, actually Ricardo has looked not, you know, not mega strong or anything, but it's looked like there's not too much to pick between the two drivers, less so perhaps And I'm wondering if Ricardo is just getting a bit of a raw deal kind of pundit wise. You know, obviously there was the win in Monaco, but even then most people were saying, oh, but Norris could have gone past him if they were allowed to race or whatever. The team said, no, this is the best result for the team. This is how it's landed. I don't know. What what do you think? Well, let's go. Uh, Christian, Christian, fair shake of the stick. If Ricardo next season, what do we what do we think?
4: I think we've seen a lot of drivers break their neck on cars they didn't expect to be as hard to drive as they turned out to be. And this the McLaren has to do with something that is uh, generic and vital for Ricciardo's driving style, which he's had to reinvent or develop in a new way. But if you look at it, I find it funny that uh, when Norris is doing, except Monza, of course, when Norris is doing really good, Ricciardo is not really. And when it's the other way around, the other one's not doing uh, as well. So you rarely see the two McLarens up there together uh, side by
2: side like you do with the Ferraris. So it could be that we have an inherently difficult car at McLaren and one of them can pull a good performance. You know, when everything goes right, statistically, we're only going to get one of them kind of pop up and look good. It's a good observation from Christian.
3: Yeah, and actually, it puts me really in mind of Mercedes as well, because um, we have heard from sources and from technical reporters that the car is very tricky to set up so that the driver can get that extra bit they need to be really competitive out of it. So if Mercedes struggles to get both Bottas and Hamilton, a car that is competitive with their driving styles. It would seem that McLaren has faced the same issue with Ricardo, and that's been doubled down because he had, I would assume, a very different driving style to what the car required and to what, and to how Norris was driving it. So yeah. it was also a big learning curve for the engineers at McLaren to figure out how to give Ricardo what he needed in the car.
2: Okay, so here's the bit where we get emails. Okay, right. Here's my, here's my hot take. Here's my hot take. Okay, so N- Norris, very good, obviously. Real talent. Uh, probably, <laughs> and this is what I got yelled at for on Checkered Flag Podcast. Uh, but I, I think probably just that consistency where it's, it's the top draw performance week in, week out that Verstappen and, say, Hamilton have been showing. Put Norris in a Red Bull or um, Mercedes right now for, the champion, for this championship, I don't think they've got that same consistency yet. I think you might see something more of what Vettel delivered at Ferrari, perhaps, you know, where it was flashes of, of brilliance great pace and then and and not quite delivering i'm going to get some hate from that i hope that norris turns into what we see hamilton because he's got the most potential of perhaps anyone on the grid arguably but i refuse to believe that daniel ricardo not quite looking as brilliant at norris in his first season at mercedes uh, mclaren is something to write ricardo off for did extremely well against ocon did extremely well toe-to-toe against verstappen in what increasingly is obviously for Verstappen's team and made Vettel look a bit silly in 2014 as well and look great in the Tor- Toro Rosso I, I just I just don't I don't understand how people have written him off quite so quickly just to, because of because of the last 6 months or the first 6 months of the season
3: It's all down to Carlos Sainz I'm just going to say it everything is about Carlos Sainz with you true. you're obsessed it's
2: so true man. Stop he agreeing. Would, Stop sucking up to would, Matt. I'm Charlie. agreeing with
4: you, Matt, all the time and everything. I love it when we he, agree.
3: He showed up at McLaren and was right there with Norris. Then he goes to Ferrari. He's right there with Leclerc. Ricardo comes to McLaren. Now, again, it, it could just be uh, a trick of the driving styles, but Ricardo struggled in a way that Signs didn't. And so that that did drop his stock, I believe, in the eyes of the commentary. Does that make him any less dangerous as a driver or any less talented? No. Could he win a world championship if he was in the right car? Yeah, absolutely. I do believe that. But in the absolute comparisons right now, if you're a team hopper, Carlos Sainz is the person you have to do as well or better than in order to impress anybody.
2: And this is what team hopper I mean there's another term for that is, is journeyman isn't it the journeyman driver the journeyman footballer moving around team to team without kind of settling and claiming that ownership on a team and actually you've named two drivers probably include Ocon in that as well who yeah. are talented enough and Perez talented enough to be picked up by teams but have not made that kind of stake in the ground in a team and made it theirs.
3: Yeah, no, I, I would agree, and I I only gave a mild snort of amusement because you snuck Perez in there, even though we're no. talking about the midfield.
2: Well, I know, but okay, so... But, but I, you're right, he <laughs> does
3: belong in that category. In, and in it's that, not
2: the first time either.
3: Which is fair. I <laughs> sneak on in all the time. I was, I was desperately holding okay. back. Perez was on his
2: way out of Formula One. He was the ultimate journeyman midfielder, Jules. Back mm-hmm. me up, come on.
5: I'm. I i did not want to want to back you up on Paris. I wanted oh. to to back uh, meta up again. Oh, all of you. Uh, so it's three against oh, one. This oh, is my okay. favorite panel now. Yeah. No, but about the team hopping. Um, I think we should. I think the question is: Ricciardo isn't the 2014 guy anymore. It's 2021 now. He's uh 30 plus years old. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the question could also be: Is he mentally still up for? Um, giving it his all or mentally up for uh, the, the the fight against a yeah. teammate like Norris. I think we shouldn't forget he had a high at Red Bull. Um, he he left Red Bull uh, while he didn't really want to. I think we yeah. can all agree on that. Yeah, then the Renault no years were a disaster. They didn't challenge him. They put him in a position where he didn't want to be, wasn't used to be, He wasn't fighting for victories. So mentally that should... That does something to you, and then you come into McLaren as as a big, celebrated name, but you actually struggle. I, I I can imagine that mentally, he's 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 maybe not gonna gonna be able to to bring all that to the table.
2: So he has to get himself out of that Renault mindset where he took the forty million a year. Co- Was it forty million a year that contract? Yeah,
5: but that big also one, adds to what what you mentioned just now, Spanners about. Uh, why do people write him off so quickly? I think it didn't do him any favors going for that for that that big bucks deal, and then not really doing anything. It 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 doesn't it doesn't um, uh, look good on you if 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 it turns out like that.
2: Well, we, look, we can compare Ricardo's decision to the drivers that didn't take that leap. We can compare it to Bottas, who has basically stuck with it and stuck with it because he says, "Well, I'd rather be in the best car and give it a shot." Mark Webber stuck with it at Red Bull with Vettel when at times, at times that was humiliating and you could see the anger, but he was like, no, I mean, Webber could have gone and got a big deal, a, a, a midfield team. They would have snapped him up.
3: Yeah, I agree completely. And just sitting here, I had the very interesting thought. We we all believe to a certain point, Ricardo left Red Bull because he felt like Max was going to get preferential treatment. And he, he didn't like that, even though, as you point out, Webber put up with it. He went to Renault because he got lots of money and because it was a manufacturer. But I do begin, and he left like right when that experiment began to bear some fruit. Because even under a beatable, they, in that third year, were starting to become more competitive. But I do wonder if ultimately McLaren was able to snatch him away. And this puts me back in mind of the Carter days if they already knew that Mercedes engine was coming in this season and he wanted that power unit more than anything else. And maybe that's why he left when he did, because nobody but Renault right now wants a Renault power unit.
4: Christian? I mean, everyone knew from mid-season 14 that the Mercedes was going to win a lot of championships. So looking from a career point of view, I would say signing with Renault, being headhunted, signing a big fat check, being with them for a short amount of time, is, I mean, it's so essential for how you work with people, integrating yourself into a new team. Uh, you arrive uh, at, at a factory, a 1,000 people, all expecting you, that one person, to get into that one thing they built and win. And you're not going to do that with Renault, but you made a lot of money. You learned a lot. I mean, working with Cyril beatable I think you'll learn a lot about well, how personalities engage with each other in the paddock. And then, again, being headhunted to McLaren He's probably not getting the same bonus check or, or paycheck in general, but it's a nice gig. The one thing I, I've noticed about Ricciardo is I've seen a lot of like mm, that kind of face. That uh, what was this race kind of face uh, yeah. in the last two three months, and I've never seen that before. So, uh, so maybe Jules, that's the only thing I'm thinking about. So you're backing Are, up Jules's point that you know is that is that motivation there. Yeah, there's there's something there, but also you need need to remember that McLaren was so far behind uh, the form they should be in. So where they are right now gaining and in the constructors and stuff like that, that is where they should be. They should be number three or number two, at least, I'd say. Mm. Matt?
3: Yeah, well, traditionally, uh, if you've been watching just long enough, like I have, you think of McLaren as fighting with Ferrari and Red Bull to win championships, not to be best of the rest way down the field. And and they sort of got there by Fiat because, ha, Fiat, get it, because of the penalty, engine penalty against Ferrari. Ferrari, Fiat, Agnelli's, but yeah, okay, fine. Never mind. um, They got there because Ferrari was so weak that that third position was open for plucking. And they, much like, I guess, Braun, They just came on strong with the Mercedes engine at the start of the year. But once Ferrari got their full money going, once they got the ERS upgrade going, there was never really going to be a defense they could lay to that third spot in the constructors. And I love that Jules pointed out about having to spend all their tokens just shoehorning the power unit in. They weren't able to fix anything else like all of their competitors could with their tokens because they took the new power unit. So they were always going to be losing mm. out at some point because there was going to be development they couldn't do on the car because they changed nothing but uh, what they needed to to get the power unit in. So I think this is an inevitability, and I think it's been difficult for Ricardo, but I am really interested to see what next year's cars bring because that's going to be a much more level playing field for McLaren, and, and it will be... Yeah, I honestly don't know. It's going to be a coin toss, but we could see easily four or five teams there or thereabouts uh, fighting for the win. So I'm going to use a cliche
4: and say if it looks like four rings, it sounds like four rings and it smells like four rings. It's probably Audi. Okay. And, <laughs> and the rumor, uh, that rumor doesn't just surface from nowhere. There's something about that rumor. Of course, there is. It could be Williams. It could be McLaren. McLaren makes a whole lot of sense from a from a broader perspective. But if Audi buys McLaren and sells McLaren, you can keep one driver. Which one would you pick? They're probably going to pick Lando. No offense, but they are probably are. He's the future for the team. Is that what you see in the eyes of the Mr. Daniel Ricciardo? I know this is just a stretch, but... Oh, it would make sense.
2: So I'm the only one defending Ricardo here. Like, I'm a little worried about you though, Christian, because you've what we had dogs on the pitch. We've had black sun, Black Friday TV deals. We, what was this one? If it smells like four rings, like, are you all right there? Like have you? That's the that's the Audi logo. Yeah, I know that. I'm just I'm wondering, is everything okay there in Denmark? Yeah,
4: have, everything is perfect. Have but you had your uh, mushrooms f- today?
2: Yeah, but you, our flat
4: screen TVs are so cheap in January. That's oh, okay. Well, you can talk about that another time.
2: Yeah, well, we've learned something about uh, Denmark. I'm just worried that Christine is going to go berserker at some moment. I feel something boiling up to the surface. Should we, uh, right. <laughs> should we move away from uh, McLaren then? So we had kind of a winner and a loser uh, with McLaren. Uh, what? Where do we want to go next?
3: Well, it, if does Ferrari oh. count? Uh, Ferrari, yes. But That
2: seems like a natural kind of evolution, to be honest.
3: Yeah, let's do that. Let's do Ferrari. And I do want to bring this up because they have a very intriguing teammate battle going on that also oh, includes Norris. It was spicy. It's 159 for Leclerc. It's one, 158 for Leclerc, 149 and a half for Signs, And in between it, 154 is Norris in the Drivers' Championship. So we wow. could see three places going different directions depending upon how they finish. Uh, at the end of Abu Dhabi, so there 's something to keep your eye on, but what I love about this race and what I love about what the safety car did because it was you know snakes and ladders, it wound up putting signs and Leclerc next to each other with Leclerc on hard tires and signs on medium tires and there was some well, yeah. I hate to say fireworks, but it was a bit spicy wasn 't it
2: who 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 caught out of our panel here? who caught any of that that battle between Leclerc and signs christian is that that to me Seemed like
4: Leclerc going,
2: no, I'm not doing it.
4: Uh, and it was. And I mean, if Leclerc has been, uh, or Leclerc uh, has been uh, highlighted as the driver genius of the century several times. Yeah. And this is the first season he has a new teammate, and the guy is literally on par. And that is not what you would expect if you were Leclerc, I would say. No, and I will say a, he's pressured.
2: There's, there's a few reasons that could be, because looking at the season and the other drivers who've got a new car this year, you would expect signs to be struggling. Leclerc yes. was beating Vettel comfortably, but you feel like there was something going on back there. And, no. and as, as, oh. Yeah. And as much as I like Vettel now and think he's a really, really good bloke, I always felt like he was overrated at Red Bull. I always felt like he had much more of a, a car advantage than was perhaps uh, clear. And I think he was shown up, kind of immediately by Ricardo uh, uh, Matt at span, uh, Matt at to complain about this, by the way, and then went to Ferrari and had a chance to fight Hamilton and could not bring it with that consistency. And then as soon as Leclerc came in, instantly looked beatable from Leclerc, and I think that led a lot of people to go, "Well, Leclerc is the is is the next in the line. He's the next Schumacher, Alonso, Rattle. He's the next in the line for succession." And then Signs has come in, and actually you'd expect him to struggle. But like Christian says, they look level, so something's going on here. Is is it that Science is just a, a genius? And um, Matt would argue in that favour. Is it that Leclerc was favoured by preferential Ferrari treatment and beating an overrated four time world champion, the ideal world champion that you would want to shoehorn into your team if you wanted your son, your uh, driver, to look good. Where do you think, Matt? What? What? Where? Where do you think? Where do you think we land on that Ferrari pairing? I mean, they shouldn't be so close this season.
3: They shouldn't be, but I think it's because Leclerc and Signs are playing two different games. Now, I will hand it to Leclerc. I think if you're talking absolute raw pace, I think I think Leclerc can find a couple of extra hundreds a corner for you. But where signs is a dead level genius is the long game, which is why we see him so often doing so well in the races. And I think Leclerc's current attitude is a little bit more, tiny bit more, marginally more win it or Bennett, if you, if you don't mind me using that phrase. Nope. And and I think that you were seeing the results of those different strategies. And I think that's why signs has done as well as he has is he's always had a masterful control in the race of what he can get away with and what he can't yeah I
5: think um, to answer your question Spanos I think it's both it it is uh, a Ferrari let pedal down and vice versa which um, painted a bit of a a, a unnaturalistic picture of last season but it's also signs I wouldn't call him a genius but I think he answered the people who kept saying, yep. yeah, but he's the guy at Toro Rosso who actually kept up with Max Verstappen. Was that true, Pace, or was it? And I think this season he showed that that it was true. And also he handed Ferrari a pretty big problem with that because everybody, when signs, signed for Ferrari, was like, mm. oh, that's the ideal number two to yep. the third, you know, the crown yep. prince, like Christian just said. And I think no one at Ferrari was like, KE we didn't see this coming.
2: Yeah. So, what, what did they do? Because I mean, they are a team, Jules, that fav that tends to favor a driver. They like having their number one. So, exactly. I,
5: if they came from from a season with Leclerc and Vettel hitting each other, uh, dr- uh, driving each other from the track in Brazil, for instance. Yes. And do you the think they didn't want anymore? Was that they wanted to go back? Obviously, to to their 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 tradition of a clear number two, not, you know, like Raikkonen was. Not a lot of fuss. Just do your thing. Yeah, Barrichello got Massa. something else. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's what they wanted. That's what they want. And by the way, I do think that is the future for all top teams. I think the the, the era of the Rosberg Hamiltons, I think that's gone. I think everyone will go down the number one, number two driver going forward. And we've certainly got it in the top three teams, haven't we? We've got a very a people. Held off for ages accepting that Bottas was seen as the number two, but he certainly is. Perez is absolutely being employed as the number two driver. Traditionally, yeah, Ferrari would do the same. Sorry, Jules then, Matt.
5: Yeah, but that's the question. Do we have that next year in the top three? Because what is Russell going (laughs) to do at Merck, right? I mean, sure, he comes in as a new kid, but then like Hamilton came in uh, 2007. I mean... He obviously wanted to show what he was worth. And I'm I'm definitely sure, like like Russell did in Bahrain last year, that he's going to be on it from the
2: start. Yeah. Uh, Christian, before you get in, because you've got fantastic hair, so you might be able to chime in on this. Uh, Adrian Smith said, oh, no, no, it's Tim Rudd says, Carlos has magnificent hair, but he has magnificent hair. He puts the helmet on and then he takes the helmet off and then he's still got magnificent hair. Like, I don't look like that when I come out of a go-kart. I don't even look like that after coming out of a VR headset. I look. I look like a melted Malteser.
4: He. He. I mean, that family in general. I mean, oh, I just. It... I would love to go to their place in the countryside, uh, drive some rally cars, hang out with the old one and the young one. It, it's just. It's a magnificent family. I think they have. They have racing in their blood. I still watch his dad actually doing the extreme e, and it's just he's on fire. Oh wow! This, uh, he's older than me, and I'm around 120. In 70 years' time. Uh, I just wanted to add that um, in Mercedes, you see a clear number one driver. You see the same in Red Bull. And that you do because the drivers are just, there's a difference. In Ferrari, I don't see a number one driver. And I think Ferrari did a good thing by not saying anyone is number one and anyone is number two. They are driving for the spots. The same at McLaren. So I think the number one, number two driver system is a little bit dated. I okay. I don't. I don't agree with
2: that. I, I will just say that with the Russell thing, I think a lot of people are hoping that he's going to come in and show Lewis Hamilton up. I, I really don't think that is Mercedes' intent. the The language when they signed him was continue to learn, and I think he will have come in. I think he will be coming in uh, in a succession plan, and that doesn't mean coming in and, and lopping off the king's head immediately. Matt,
3: I would agree. With the new cars, anything could happen, and I do believe at most teams now. And I think this is a big change from the Jean todd era, which I think carried over under previous management's at Ferrari. I think Ferrari is well okay. There are worse problems to have, and as at Mercedes, as the season progresses, the the they will lean on the driver who who best represents their chances. But they want a driver who can win if that's the driver that's in front. And they absolutely have that with this pairing. So I see that as as nothing but good for Ferrari. And I see them coming to lines with the other other teams, uh, except for maybe Red Bull, where you could argue that Perez was definitely hired as a number two from the outset. So that's a bit more old school, if you ask me. All right. But as for this
2: particular race, how did we get to the point, because I have to admit, this went completely under my radar with all the jumping up and down. How did we get to the point... Where we had signs right up behind Leclerc with what looked like a pace advantage.
3: I love you. You asked me that question. Yeah. First of all, signs passed a bunch of people from the start. Then he didn't pit, and Leclerc did, which left him P six. And then Perez completely smashed oh, Leclerc yeah. on the restart, which put him back to P seven. And yeah, or, uh, yeah, was it seven and eight? Yeah, with seven and eight, they finished. Well,
2: hang on, let's talk about the wording. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Let's talk about the
3: wording. The, the Perez completely Can smashed Leclerc
2: okay. off of the, the track. Hang on a sec, <laughs> two seconds. Got to find a button here. Whose fault is it? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know about this. Obviously, like, OK, I'm a uh, Perez fan. But it looked like Perez had absolutely nowhere to go. And there was a car on the outside of him. So the only person who could have avoided that accident and Perez is slightly ahead is Leclerc lifting off and, and getting out of that disappearing wedge. I'm not saying he has to do that. He's entitled to hold his ground, but I don't think Perez could have done much. Oh, Christian's shaking his head. It's everybody against Spanners today. Go on, then.
4: Who, who's going to take this, Matt? Christian? I no, think Christian, better, you, you better go. do it. Okay, I'm going to take it. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, lab one after the restart, right? So, are you going to give up a space where you're on the side of a car? Never. Uh, do you have to leave room for the car on your inside when you're turning left? Definitely. So, arguably, no, 100% Paris' fault. Oh, Matt. <laughs> yeah, no, ju- ju- Jules will stand up for me.
2: <laughs> I'm afraid not. I
5: actually rewatched this situation uh, in preparation for this show. But I mean, Paris is taking over Leclerc who is on his left side. And, and he exactly. knows, okay, this track is narrowing. He There's no way he didn't know Leclerc would still be there. So I I I, I get that on his right side, there was still somewhere in Alpha Tauri. But uh, I think it was Gasly, but he should have known. Uh, where was Leclerc going to go? If he, if he would stamped on his brakes, probably
3: someone would have hit him from the back. All right. Fine. It can happen.
2: Fine. Matt, you host now. I'm going to sulk for a bit.
3: <laughs> oh, sorry about that, but that is how they wound up fighting with each other for almost the entire rest of the race. Because as I mentioned, there was a tire differential there that that gave Signs an early advantage over over uh, Leclerc, especially on the starts. And so that's where all the kerfuffle came from between having to give the place back and so on and so forth. Yeah. But it did make it fun for them, although it did on the radio, it, it did sound a bit interesting. But I, I do believe that was Signs just being like give the place back before you get a penalty because we still, <laughs> you know, like we don't want okay. a team penalty. That, would, not-
2: that was so optimistic. So the, the situation, as I kind of see it is signs has, has made the pass pretty much. And Leclerc has used going off track to to keep it and then not wanted to yield because, because there was like stuff ahead of them. They were avoiding stuff too. So I think Leclerc might've gone, well, you know, I was just making sure Carlos had enough space to not crash into people. Uh, but then signs is justification was just it? you know you can see that in 4k he's he could have just said you know i think i took made the overtake stick can he give it back to me using the they're going to give us a team penalty guys no they're not that never happens with teammates <laughs> i've never once heard the race control go no swap back with teammates and signs knows that that was fun i enjoyed it though
4: but did he eventually give the place back uh
3: good question i, I think possibly he did possibly he didn't but it, there was another restart afterwards, so
4: yeah, yeah exactly, yeah,
3: so yeah, it yeah. Another threw everything thing, up and
2: yeah, yeah, another thing that got lost in the uh, the rental car wars, as uh, as Brad described it up front. Where do we where do we go next match? Should we go to <gasps> Alpine?
1: to find out if it's right for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to 2 dollars a manicure, which
0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: I, I thought I'm disappointed in this team in general. Actually, let's step back in general. I I I I kind of not bought into the hype, but the rebranding came with a wave of optimism, a change of management, a two-time world champion coming back into the fray and it's sort of not quite sparked or jules was i being always optimistic was i being over optimistic to think that they could this could be the year that they would be your works team i don't think so
5: because i was too see i'm taking your back oh, in this one yeah, It's too late no, too I, I was too late. optimistic too i mean it, it's a great livery and 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 you know a beatable left the scene etc alonso back and I really expected them to be more, to do more than this season. And, uh, but someone whacked me uh, uh, in the head telling me that, no, but all the resources are going into 2022. So this is just a, a warm-up an off season for them. Another, I don't know if that's true. Another, for
2: them. another warm-up year, Matt. That's what Renault have been saying since for years. Yeah, we've got a five-year plan.
3: No, 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 no. A seven-year plan. No, no, it's, uh, we're not even Renault now. Yeah, well, on the one hand you would expect slightly better of them on the other hand they had a management change and their plan all along was to aim at the new regulations which keep getting moved back a year and crucially and this i think is a, is a big difference between them and ferrari for me and and the one thing that does puzzle me a bit is ferrari brought a massive upgrade to their power unit in anticipation of next year's rules renault's power unit is easily two years old they're easily um, the general calculations I've seen is they're 30-plus brake horsepower down on on the best power unit in the field. And somehow, they've they've managed to come fifth. They've won a race. They've had a podium. And they all but had a podium here. Oh, yeah. Were, were it not for the thing that really excited me most about this race, which is watching multi-lap-ers comparisons between two drivers fighting. Jesus. Okay.
4: I I was actually just gonna repeat what Matt just said about the third place last week uh, and the the almost third place this week, and from two tracks being so aerodynamic uh, dependent. If you if you are spot on with your aerodynamics, if your wind tunnel is correlated, you are in good shape. Mechanical grip you can always create that is a totally different thing. So uh, I think Alpine is doing quite well considering their old engine. Don't underestimate an old engine in this. Just look at uh, Lewis Hamilton's new engine, the, the difference yeah. from an upgrade late in the season. Jules, you're getting some props from our live stream, pointing out how brutal
2: your, your damning with faint praise was. How, how do you think Alpine have done? It's great livery.
5: Yeah but, <laughs> yeah, but even this, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, uh, Christian, but those results, the win in Hungary, the, the, the podium in Qatar and the almost podium last weekend... They were all a bit of freak races, weren't they? Sure. Was that on wow. merit? Definitely. Or was it, you know, getting dropped in your lap and uh, and, and, and take the, 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 the opportunity? See, which Matt, is a quality of See,
2: well. see hey, oh, Matt, Jules is saying but, that Ocon's win was a fluke and he didn't deserve it. Um, unbelievable. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, against an Aston Martin that was overusing its fuel while he was lifting and coasting. No, it, they absolutely deserved it. It was luck they were in first place, just like it was luck Ocon had a pole position, like, you know, because there were three pole positions in this race, apparently, and he managed to luck into one. But I did. I was right. I heard him in an interview say, oh, yeah, at the start, I just aimed out of the way to let them by because I knew I couldn't stay in front of them. and I yeah. didn't want to get involved in any drama. Okay, so
2: tell us about that, that battle uh, between Bottas and Ocon. Oh, and you yeah. think this was won and lost on the ERS deployment.
3: Absolutely, because how long did that battle last? It lasted four or five laps. And the Jetta circuit had been talked about as not having the same kind of braking zones as, say, Monza. So it's going to, over multiple laps, point out minor differences in ER's efficiencies, the ability to recharge and efficiently use. Plus, in general, just how have I programmed my energy? Like, for example, Alpine consistently pulled away from Bottas in the first sector Ocon did as did Max against Hamilton but in the second two sectors Mercedes absolutely crushed them but by the time you get to the third or the fourth lap and you're recharging your battery a little less than your opponent each time we actually saw Bottas have the pass done but lock up going on to the last lap and giving Ocon a little bit of grace but he had no battery left coming out of that final turn and that's why the Mercedes was so able to easily overtake him is because there just wasn't enough battery left for him to be competitive on straight line speed there.
4: So when I watch Formula One live, I usually do it on like six, seven, eight different screens. Yes. So I have a lot of onboards. Uh, and uh, I Bottas, I picked up on him on the five, six last lap of the race. And you can just tell how he learned a lot about corner 27 every time, how he took it in, in in a new way where he positioned his car. And he almost got it three laps from the race. And then the second last lap, he 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 did what Matt was just talking about. And then the last corner before the, the line, it was perfect. You could actually tell when he went into the corner, this is going to happen. Maybe by a few meters, but this is going to happen. It was wonderful.
2: It was beautiful. And you saw, like up up front, actually, obviously, the Verstappen Hamilton race was overshadowed by the incidents, But you saw the different lines going into that final turn. The one I think that Hamilton ended up getting the nearly the pass done and. Stefan going down the inside he did that a very similar thing it looked like he'd overshot the corner and came back to it very very late and and actually something that's been overlooked I think Christian is that the track had had some designs in mind to allow that so some different lines through the final corner and then also turn 13 with the banking I think we can take some positives from a track I didn't like but let's take those things that did work and think about those moving forward. I'd like to talk about
4: the track because I love the track. Oh, okay. what, of, 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 I mean, I I, com- I, think it's wonderful you do a thing like this. You get Hermann Tilger, to, uh, who's the best in the business to do this, and you tell them to build a fast track inside a city. And they just deliver in nine months. It's unbelievable. The only thing that didn't work was, was the things that happens that you're not really sure will happen. Uh, and that's just, I mean... Mm. You build a lot of you build a lot of learning by trying, uh, but the uh, the corner thirteen, corner twenty two, twenty three, and twenty seven uh, to 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 some degree you could take it in two different ways. Totally made my day. I love this trick. Okay. I, I'll Not push particularly back. to the location, but okay.
2: the trick. <laughs> I'll push back a little bit, Matt, and which is just that, like I said, I think on the race review, I, I think a lot of that was predictable. And I think a lot of people looked at the layout and the close walls and went, oh, that is going to lead to a lot of c- carnage. And you could see if you put those walls around Spa, you could probably get exactly the same kind of result. It's just something inherent about street circuits. I don't, I don't buy that it's unpredictable
3: it's not unpredictable, but it's predictable at all street circuits. And I do want to point out, just because it occurred to me, that we had four virtual, or as I now call them, Vettel safety cars, because Vettel was parts of his car were responsible, oh, yeah. I think, for every last one of them, because he got into <laughs> a bash with Tsunoda and then another one with um uh, uh, Raikkonen, and was just dropping bits of his car everywhere. Uh, but if you took those away you had that ridiculous pace at the front where Hamilton was pushing, Vettel, uh, pushing Verstappen and trying to make him burn through his tires. And you had this great, you really had a lot of great racing going on on this circuit. It's just the need to clean the debris off the track really, really ate into the it ate into the actual strategy part of it in a lot of ways. And th- that, that
2: element, that is actually a, a very typical Hamilton tactic and it's the sort of thing that can be hidden from view and it's, it's not as spectacular as a dive down the outside but Hamilton has very often in stints of, of, of races really pushed and harassed and hounded not necessarily to get the overtake done but he's done it to Bottas loads when there was a genuine oh will Bottas be an equal driver he used to just absolutely rinse Bottas in in the first stint and just make him burn through his tyres so I'm glad you pointed that out Matt
3: Yeah, and the thing that I want to point out um, about Ocon, and we started with Ocon and Bottas. Let's go backwards to um, after the start, he actually, um, Ricardo made progress forward, and Ricardo was chasing Ocon and could not catch him at all. Ocon was able to stay ahead. Partly, Ricardo was defending from behind, but the Alpine had genuine pace over Ricardo in the McLaren, um i think part of that might to have been the medium tires eventually going off yeah. but but even on the medium tires early days he couldn't he couldn't get there
2: yeah so well let's give props to alpine then because we're painting this picture of of they've only done well during chaos but look they've they've maximized the opportunities when they have been there and ocon ended up up the grid he ended up actually out front he ended up in pole he f- was fighting with ricardo and mclaren that's been better than them all season and then had a darn good battle against uh, Bottas. so you you can't do that unless they got something right that weekend so alpine clearly did something right
3: yeah and then he ended up having a nice long chat with toto wolf
2: <laughs> yeah here's your conspiracy theory oh look you last corner and then toto's <laughs> like well done i will send you your mercedes in the post
3: Two years, two years we'll see you and yeah, okay. that's the fun speculation.
2: So what I would like to do now is is just have a little bit of a look forward, just five or ten minutes, a little bit of a look forward to um to Abu Dhabi next weekend because I am going to get kicked out of my shed. We are recording on a Tuesday afternoon here. Matt, is it's like seven o'clock in the morning when we started the call. Now, you're more of a morning person than me, Matt, but for, for me. So it, we should do it as an experiment. Let's wake me up at seven to do a podcast and you'll get a very different um, – <laughs> It's like.
3: Two in the morning for You're, me, You man. get a very different experience.
2: Yeah, exactly. At least it'll keep me out away from the school runs and uh, and away from all the chaos. Pour your shoes. No, both shoes. No. So uh, my plan for next season for 2022 is to yeah. have every other week, Tuesday as a slot where we do our extra content because we've been a bit piecemeal about it when we have a Joe on or a Matthew Carter style show or when we have the specialist shows with interviews whenever we can get hold of them. I want to kind of make every other Tuesday the time we do that. And then we can have like Missed Apex is six shows a month. And I think that'll be good. Uh, and I also want to make sure that we've got two patron stream or two patron only pieces of content in the month as well, where we can relax a little. And what I want to do is I want to move our doom scrolling podcast and that spirit into our F1 patron podcast. So we'll have an opportunity to, I think, argue a bit more um go a bit more into the the Twitter style arguments of Formula One, and also talk about some doom scrolling stuff, personal stuff, and bring on some of our
4: doom Scrolling guests
3: too that sounds like fun to me i'm I'm not
4: a Twitter user, but I hear it's very like peaceful on there super people peaceful it's like a drum circle
2: nice to each yeah.
4: other it's, it's yeah. yeah okay
2: yeah you should uh, you should check it out uh, but what I wanted to do Matt as well, is to make sure that the people who have supported us and and made this possible for us to get some extra content and it's the kind of content we want to do anyway so we'll we'll deliver our our six shows that we'll try and keep as professional as possible and then we'll make two objectively worse (laughs) worse but looser shows that we can have some some more fun some extra fun on um during the month as well for our patrons (laughs) And if you do want to be a patron and support us, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. It's right in the show notes below. At least uh, check it out and we'll try and make it worth your while to be a patron of Miss Apex Podcast. But let's look forward to this finale. And yes, it does involve speaking about the top two a little bit because that is where all eyes will be. As As much as there is battles up and down the field, everyone is wondering what will go down between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. I will I'll lay my pennies down here that I think Mercedes will turn up with a car advantage. Very interesting to see a lot of pundits after qualifying in Saudi Arabia say, oh, no, Red Bull have got a car advantage. Oh, look, Red Bull are the fastest now because Verstappen was on a pole lap. I I think this is entirely wrong. I think early on, Red Bull saw that they did not have race pace and it was going to be much the same story as uh, Interlagos and as Qatar. And so they set their car up to be a pain in the behind. And that's what they did. They went out and they said, right, we everything is about qualifying on pole and trying to make a nuisance of ourselves. So I think we're going to turn up to Abu Dhabi with the Mercedes being a much faster car. And Red Bull are going to have to do what they have been doing brilliantly since Cota, which is harass. And that's what it's going to be. It's going to be ground level hand-to-hand combat, they're going to put Verstappen on pole. They can try and put him on pole, sacrifice everything to put him on pole. Uh, yeah, I can, I could can, I can even see them, you know, just... I could, I could even see them, like, making it difficult to be lapped. You know, having Perez being difficult to be lapped. They're going to throw everything at Mercedes, Matt. I, I cannot see this being just a clean fight.
3: Well, I think you are correct in that Red Bull because of their rear wing issues, have lost out to Mercedes in terms of overall combination of qualifying and race pace. And I suspect given the reprofile of the circuit, that will affect them equally, if not more, at the last race of the season. And looking at how they set up their energy deployment, um, it was all first sector. So it was all about getting as far away as possible during the first sector. And then making the other people have to catch up and defending into turn one, because that's the only chance they had. I mean, even putting the medium tire on was frankly a little bit nuts, but they did it because they needed, the only way they were going to win is with track position to start. And that's, that's a minor sign of desperation that they won't tell you about, but I absolutely believe to be true. I think Mercedes will go into the last race with a significant advantage and it's really going to be Red Bull pulling one out of the hat to um to to pull off a, a victory, which they now need to win the Drivers' Championship unless, be, unless, yeah, <laughs> unless, Go and I'm not going to say anymore because <laughs> I don't want to be the person responsible.
4: So I want to be, gonna, I'm going to say it. I want to say it.
3: <laughs> unless, <laughs> you can just, uh,
4: you can, I'll wait you my turn. I'll wait my turn. I'll wait my turn, but I'm going to say it when you want me to say it. Now, I want you to say it now. Okay. Jules, what will happen in Holland on Sunday evening when Max Verstappen is disqualified from the world championship from driving off Hamilton?
5: Uh, it, I would say uh, a proper <laughs> storm.
4: <laughs> I don't, am I allowed to say that? No, no but don't worry.
3: Well, apparently now you are. It is a patron stream. but uh,
4: yeah, And it's it, a normal wedding demo as well, just so you know. So no uh, offense here.
2: It's understandable. Y- I'm, you'll, I'm, you'll frighten the Brits. Okay, Jules, keep a lid on it. <laughs>
5: We talked about before the the kind of football fan uh, attitude that uh, uh, some uh, Verstappen fans, um, uh, you know, bring to the game. The sentiment I get on Twitter is FIA, but then mafia memes, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it's all everyone's against Red Bull. Everyone is in favor of uh, Verstappen. Hardly any reflection on uh, uh, the Red Bull and Verstappen behavior and whether... The, the penalties uh, would have actually been in uh, rightfully given okay. to him. Yeah. So if he gets disqualified, I'm sure it, it will be a, a, a
2: big scandal, okay. regardless we'll of why. The scenario Christian has laid out there was I wasn't sure. I, I did do a tweet. We, we we thought, I think, most of the panel, the, the break check could have attracted a higher penalty. It attracted exactly the penalty that would make sure that they went into the final round level. And I see that narrative. It's very useful to F1 because now they get to do the level on points into the final round. After all of this, it comes down to level. Great. That's fine. You know, we can, we can take our tinfoil hats on and off as required. But they're not actually level because the Spa win, I think, the Spa win in the rain, that, count is, that counts as a win. So if they do count back on level points, I think Verstappen will have seven does, yeah. seven wins to six wins. I can't remember Seven the numbers, fight, but he wins.
4: he definitely has more wins than Hamilton. So on point, he
2: will win. Yeah. yeah. So unless they finish ninth and tenth, that whoever finishes ahead out of those two is is going to yes. be the the championship leader. But that also means that Verstappen, if he ends up in a double DNF with Lewis Hamilton and they both go out, he is champion.
4: And so, did yeah. you see the clip with Verstappen watching Senna taking out Prost in Suzuka? No. Where he actually said, yeah, of course, I would do that too.
2: Right. And this is the thing.
4: (laughs) On that note.
2: (laughs) I don't think it's controversial and I don't think it's anti Verstappen to say that, that Verstappen has it in him to at least drive so close to the line that if, you know, okay, well, if I get ahead of you, I get ahead of you. That's great. I'm trying to overtake you. I'm trying to block you. That's my aim. But I can push so close to the limit that I don't mind if we both end up out. I don't think that's controversial that he would court potential contact. I think we've seen him do it in Brazil. He took a trajectory where he was absolutely putting a collision or not collision in the hands of Lewis Hamilton. If you if you dare try and stay on the track, you hit me. And he did that in Qatar as well. So I, I really don't think it's a stretch or anti Verstappen Jules. To, not say that, to say that a double DNF is, is possible.
5: No, not at all. But that, that also um, originates in the way he himself reflects on the things that have happened during the season and especially the last couple of races. You never hear him um, reflect on his own actions in a way like, okay, maybe I went a bit too far. Maybe I shouldn't have done it. Maybe I should look back at the, at the images to see if I misjudged anything that there's no doubt within Red Bull within himself that they are in the right. And, and in that way, the only way I think uh, it, it can be prevented, the scenarios you just put out is if, the stewards, Masi, whoever, sit down with him and maybe him and Hamilton before the race, before the weekend and say, listen, from now
2: on, this is what goes and this is what doesn't go. I'm sorry, but there's no penalty. Let's say it is Verstappen's fault and he is deemed to have deliberately taken out Hamilton or to be predominantly to blame. There's no penalty they can give him that stops him being world champion.
4: They, they are did no- it with Schumacher.
2: They- Schumacher... Had already lost on track.
4: The, yeah, the, but he would have won if they didn't disqualify him.
2: No, didn't they? no, no, no. St- I mean, with the with the Villeneuve thing. Yeah, so Villeneuve won on track and and mm. uh, finished first. Oh, yeah, without, yeah, that's true. That's without true. any intervention, and then about five days later, there was a hearing, and he was disqualified and had all his points taken away. I do not see any universe where the FIA in that similar position. Take the title away from Max Verstappen in the stewards' office by disqualifying him from the whole championship. They can disqualify him from the race. Won't matter. He'll still have more points on countback
4: than Lewis Hamilton. Let's just hope this will not be th- something we have to talk about because we want pure racing. We want the right man to win, and the one. Why are you shaking your head, be- Because we won't. Because we won't get clean racing. We won't get good racing. We haven't had
2: it all season, and we won't get it here.
5: There's one way without FIA or whoever interfering. um, And that is if Merck just make sure uh, Verstappen doesn't get anywhere near uh, Hamilton. And that means a front row lockout probably. And then uh, maybe give something extra to uh, Merck customers, maybe McLaren who have some extra power somehow, and maybe intervene in the, in, in the qualifying, but What they need to do is just make sure uh, Verstappen doesn't get anywhere near him. And and that's the
3: safest way, I think. Matt? I wish to disagree slightly with your assertion there's been no good racing. There's been a tremendous amount of good racing. But as we've run out of races, it's gotten a lot
2: worse. Well, Well, where? Where was the good racing between Verstappen and Hamilton? There hasn't been good
3: racing. It's just been a series of like launches. I, I, well, I just the sprint race in Silverstone to start with. Oh, yeah. The whole yeah. thing in Barcelona was tremendous. I mean, we have seen a fair amount of good racing between them, and even frankly, his move, as Brad said on the show, up the inside on the on the second restart was was just it was a lovely, audacious, entirely legal, and amazing move that really put Hamilton in, in a bad spot because he left the door slightly open. We have seen good racing. It it is possible it could happen. But I think the problem is, like you say, the reward for Verstappen for for doing whatever he wants yeah. is still a world championship. And having seen what he did in the last race, it's concerning. It's concerning that he might decide to take that as his guideline.
2: Yeah, it, certainly the risk and reward is different, Jules. So, like that, yeah, well, yeah. Hamilton can't afford the double DNF. He and he can. You could argue, well, he earned that position by having more wins on countback, but.
5: Yeah, I was just going to say what uh Mark Greenow in the, in the in the chat now points out, um because what the, the examples Matt just gave those were from a phase in the season when when Max wasn't as aggressive as he is now. He's always been aggressive, but not like like now. And he 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 doesn't need it. He can he can race cleaner. He's talented enough. He's brutally talented. He's fast enough. And of course, if he he has a car deficit, it. It just doesn't happen for him, but he doesn't need this 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 violent kind of uh, kind of driving, which which would take away every glance of the of, of a title uh, he would he would win that way.
2: Well, we're out of time. I'm going to get kicked out of the shed in any in any minute right now. And Matt has to go and move a car because it's uh, New York, and you have to play musical cars. Uh, but uh, look forward to the race in Abu Dhabi. Look forward to a season finale. I think we are. Equally going to be as excited and happy and/or bummed out as we are going to be relieved (laughs) that some of the tension and stress out of this F1 season um, is coming to an end and a natural conclusion. So try and enjoy it, even if your driver doesn't win. Try not to get onto social media and start calling everyone turnips. And do tune in to Missed Apex podcast and we will be bringing you a race review on Sunday. As quickly as we can to follow all the panel and to be a patron and to subscribe to Race Weekend Magazine, of which we get fifteen percent. Look at all the beautifully prepared show notes below. So in YouTube, it's below. Apple, you swipe up, and Pocket Cast, you go left and right. But go and find them. We have all the information for you there. I assume that everyone is as lazy as me, so I make everything as simple as possible. So go and go and click around and see if anything interests you. That's uh that's about us. I can hear a tiptoe up the garden path now for me to get kicked out of the shed. So we will see you Sunday. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mistake Apex Podcast. No! Leave me alone! It's my shed! I built it! <laughs> I built it with my own hands! No Just let me play shed a bit more.
4: Who's taking over your shit? My wife.
2: She. she since, what, um, since the pandemic, since the pandemic, this is also her studio. It's really annoying.
3: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter.